Today we're going to be in Titus chapter 2. And the last time we looked at Titus 1, character and courage, and today we're going to see that we have responsibilities. Everyone in the body of Christ, and I'll talk more about that, has a responsibility to the Lord, to each other, um, as believers, as what the church is. Again, in our culture, we start to think of the church as the building, but that was never the case. The church was always been the collection of God's people, saved, called out of the world, and uh, sanctified, and called to be more holy. So we'll look at that as well. Uh, so I'm going to jump in with verse 1, Titus 2, verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So in context, the last chapter, again, chapter delineations came much later. This was thought to be read as one complete thought as the Apostle Paul penned this letter to Titus. Uh, So number one, the context, what we just covered last Sunday was to appoint elders in every city so the church would have some oversight and some structure, some organization. Uh, Two, that they withstand, the leaders withstand, and everybody withstand false doctrine. And the best way to do that is to know what your Bible teaches. You know, if somebody comes to try to attack your faith, um, not that we punch them or anything like that, but that we have a good reason. Even First Peter says that we should have an understanding of why we believe why we, what we believe. It's really not blind faith. Uh, so we can look at that. But here, the third point is how each person or each group uh, has a role in the church. Remember, Christianity is not a spectator sport. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul speaks of Christ as the head of the church, and he speaks of believers as the body. Uh, Some are a foot, some are a hand, some are a thumb, some is a heart, some is a neck. So every believer has an important purpose. And the Apostle Paul goes on and says, without certain organs or functions, then the body has problems. It becomes dysfunctional. So it's the same thing in the church. And verse 1, he says, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Uh, So these must be adhered to. So we'll start with number one, the older men. The older men. They should set the tone. They should set the example first. The first point is to be sober, circumspect, considering all angles before acting. We expect older men to be deep wells of wisdom, experience, and good judgment. Two, to be reverent to be worthy of respect, in other words, dignified. Three, to be temperate, sound of mind, and self-control. Now, if you look at the first three, these are a picture of stability. When we look to the older men in the church, we're looking towards stability, father figures, grandfatherly figures. Now, we're flawed as people, and God is the ultimate father, but we try to emulate him as much as possible. Four, to be sound in faith, love, Patience, the word sound meaning healthy or incorruptible. Notwithstanding all the chaos in the world, the older men are not to be moved from their position of faith in their God. 
when we look to the older men, we expect to see a strong faith in their God and love, love for their God. And Jesus says, because we love God, we also love others made in his image. And three, patience. Sometimes a little difficult, but uh, I'm told that as we get older, we mellow with age and we become more patient. So there's good news in that aspect. I see a lot of smiles out there. And I would say that these are qualities my mentors possessed. I watched a friend who was also my mentor. And I'll tell you what, back in the day as a new believer, I was awfully selfish. This man was dying of cancer, but he always had time for me. He has pa- he's since passed and gone to be with the Lord. He would always receive the phone calls. I would come to his house and we would talk. The guy never complained. And, I, and looking back, I realized the pain and the suffering he went through, but the man was not moved. And I'll tell you this, that much of my undeterredness is a result of having solid mentors, older men, who were good examples to me. So the older men, wrapping it up, should lead by example, should be quick to go to prayer, should always find time to serve the Lord in whatever way possible. The older women now also have a major responsibility as cisterns of wisdom and certain behavior unbecoming not to occur. There's actually a term, I'm going to digress for a moment. Uh, you might have heard this in the, in the business world, uh, certainly after World War II in East Germany, the, the, under the communists, the conditions were so harsh that a lot of folks left. They tried to get out of East Germany, and the term was called brain drain. When you start to lose the experience, the older folks, the ones who have the know-how and the capabilities, and they start leaving a, a city or a, a profession, they call it brain drain. And a lot of companies were, uh, you know, nowadays trying to have the older folks get out, you know, get them out, retire them, and just keep the younger ones. But that presents a problem because they don't have the experience and the wisdom. And you can read articles about that. So the older women also have responsibilities. Number one, to be reverent in behavior based on an inner fortitude and foundation. And we don't expect older women to carry on. You know what I'm saying? We expect this reverence, this, this behavior of theirs. I saw a video, and I wouldn't have believed it either, maybe by the police report. I'm sure the judge wouldn't have believed it either, but there was a woman who got arrested by a police officer, and she was obviously elderly. She had white hair and, and the whole deal. And she's in the back of the police car spitting and cursing and dropping F-bombs, and I'm looking at this video, and I'm like, wow. Now, I know that when she probably came to court, she was dressed and in her right mind at that point before the judge, but I can't imagine the judge believing the officer unless that video was shown, right? So reverence and behavior is important. Two, not slanderers. The Greek word is diabolos, is what we get the word devil from. <laughs> Don't be like that. In the English, a traducer, someone who says malicious things or untrue things or goes around telling other people's business. Right? This is not something we expect from the older women. Three, not drunkards or not given to much wine. Four, teachers of good things. Right? Uh, ladies, your mentors, the older women that you look up to, you, know, you expect them to be teachers of good things. You expect them to show you a good example in life. Now, what's great to see is the mature man or woman pour into others and be respected because they've deserved it. On the other hand, when the gray-haired man or the woman is a drunkard right, or is someone who's perverted or gossips or... Uh, setting it a bad example to the youth. And, and I've seen this on the streets. There is an older man who's teaching the young kids how to commit crimes. 
how to do bad things. And let me tell you something, they will be judged. They will be judged. Back to the principle of we all have a responsibility in the body of Christ, especially those who have accumulated that wisdom and that godly knowledge over the years. So we're still kind of on the older women. However, he kind of moves and shifts to the younger women because he's telling the older women this is what they should be doing, pouring into the younger women. So we see a shift here. But the older women, you know, to be at prayer, to be at uh, functions, to get to know a younger lady, even so much as, and and older people may come up to me and say, you know, I, I walk with a cane, I have physical limitations, but can you be yourself? I'm not asking you to, you know, do anything difficult, just be yourself. If you see a young person or a new person, for that matter, anyone walk into the church, can you just shake their hand and introduce yourself and say, welcome to our church? Boy, that goes a long way. And I've heard that here. Well, I came in and everybody was so friendly. So I can't be everywhere. The pastors, the leaders can't. Just look at the size of this church. Uh, but you, who are an older person, who are mature, who the Lord has poured into, start with the friendliness. Start with making a connection. Maybe they'll open up to you. Maybe they had bad experiences with older folks at home. Maybe it's a dysfunctional home. But you may be able to go in there and, and build that bond and cause them to maybe open up and share with you. You'd be surprised what, what can happen just from a smile and a hello, where that can lead to. Now, what's the difference between <laughs> the older man and the younger man, the older woman and the younger woman? What's the age group? I'm going to answer it the way President Lincoln answered the question when they were making fun of his height and said, how tall should a man be? He said, tall enough that his feet should touch the ground. (laughs) So so in that vein, I would say old enough to know that there are younger people watching you and young enough to know that there are those that have accumulated wisdom and precepts of the Bible and someone you can look to and maybe someone you can glean off of. And you may be in a position at any age that there are going to be those that are younger than you and there are going to be those that are older than you. See, it works. This is the beauty of the community of God. We all work together. And you start to see this concept of the body of Christ start to coalesce, start to gel. Listen, I can't do everything here, nor would I want to. But what's a blessing is the greeters. What's a blessing is the info table. Right now, there are those that are watching your children. And normally on Sundays, the majority of the times, there's a thriving teen ministry, which we'll have again next Sunday. Uh, So everything works together. The sound, the worship is beautiful. The tech guys in the back work in the sound boards. Everybody has a function here. Even those that come here and nobody sees them, and they clean the church. I mean, I could go on, right? We all work together. So the first thing is to admonish the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Now, that's kind of sad to have to say in any generation, but let's look at the cultural aspect. And it's my job to do the research, to do the studying, and give to you what was going on at the time and why he said these things. In those days, there were arranged marriages. Now, I would tell you that my father's mother and my father's father, it was an arranged marriage that started in Italy. And it seems kind of odd to us because we choose our mates. Uh, they ended up coming over here, and she learned to really love this man. And when he died at 62, unexpectedly, she was devastated for years. This person was a stranger introduced into her life, and then she fell in love with him and, and had a hard time living without him. So look at it from that aspect, and I would say to the young ladies, 
You've heard of a blind date? How would you like to have a blind marriage? (laughs) So, let me just say this. The Bible doesn't say a woman or a man must get married. It doesn't say there's anything wrong with being single. It doesn't say that we must have children, but if we do, these are the tenets that we need to follow. This is the paradigm. This is the model that God set forth. So we look at this. Listen, we in our society are told that basically we can do anything we want, we can do everything we want, we can have it all, and everything will work out fine. Sometimes that causes problems and confusion. You can't do everything and have everything and expect everything to go well, even with our children. I mean, I've seen situations where, uh, and this is an extreme, where maybe both parents, mom and dad, are professionals, they're go-getters, they're, they're rising in their uh, fields, and they uh, very type A personalities, come home late at night, get up real early in the morning, kids are at school all day, kids are at school after school, and then when they come home, someone else takes care of them. And then for the summertime, they're sent out to camp all summer, and they never see their children. Do you think that your kids are going to turn out perfect? Perfect? Now, the kids have everything materially, but they don't have mom and dad. And that's an extreme example. So I would just say this. We need to love our spouse. We need to love our children. And when we do get married and we do have children, it's called a sacrifice. Now, I'll say this. I'm a parent, and there's no such animal as a perfect parent. It's kind of an oxymoron in a sense. Uh, We do the best we can, and we do make mistakes. And we shouldn't feel guilty and and have that uh, overwhelm us. But we do the best we can. I would say if you want to continue to come home late every night and hang out with your friends, then maybe you should hold off marriage for a little while. If that's your lifestyle. Because marriage is a sacrifice. And I'm really trying also to lead by example. Um, Most of you know that in four and a half months, I will be retired from the police force. And I am, I'm leaving early, 20 years instead of 25, and I will be sacrificing certain benefits. But I will tell you this, I can't have it all either. My son is going to be turning 13, the church is growing. I can't do this for another five years. Because eventually, you, you don't do it well after a while. You know, you choose what you want in life, and then you make a sacrifice, and you don't complain about it. Because we, have, we all have choices. Nobody's forcing us to do these things. Something to keep in mind. Uh, two, to be discreet. And three, to be chaste. Not sending the wrong signals. Not attracting negative attention. Self-controlled. Four, to be homemakers. Now, in our society, some will say, well, that's sexist or that's, you know, I don't like that term. But if you look in the Greek, it actually means to guard the home. A a guarder of the home. Now, when I'm at work for ten and a half hours a day during my shift, my wife is the house manager. And I trust her. You know, I don't worry when I'm gone for ten and a half hours that something terrible is going to happen because my wife is, she's the manager. She knows what she's doing. You know, my, my wife also is the head of the women's ministry. You know, I don't, I, don't often poke, I don't often poke my nose into her business because she's very good at what she does. So I trust her, okay? And five, good. We take these all together and we see that maybe all the things that feminism has taught over the years uh, has not been without consequences. If you look at the 60s and 70s, and I'm going to go back and forth from guys to ladies, the sexual revolution. That was hurtful many years later to both sexes, right? Um, Drinking, partying, multiple partners, drug use, 
As a police officer for 20 years, being on the road, I see what happens after the bad things happen. We, we get sent in to pick up the, clean up the mess at times. The crimes that are committed, the, the addictions, the um, you know, runaways, all these kind of things that are a result of this, well, you can have what you want, you can have it all, and that's really not without consequences. Six, obedient to their own husbands. Now, if you remember on the campaign trail some months ago, uh, Michelle Bachman took a lot of heat because there was a video, and she said she was having a, a discussion with a, a group, and she said there was a decision to be made, and she says, well, you know, the Bible says I need to submit to my husband. And she, it was very lighthearted. Um, she's a very accomplished woman. They adopted a lot of children. She's a professional. Nobody, nobody held her back. But she took a lot of heat from the media about saying that. What is it anyone's business if that's her desire to be submissive to her husband? Now, I'll tell you what. The word in Greek is hupotasso, and it's really the difference between sort of like a three-star general and a two-star general. Two-star general is not inferior to the three-star general, but there is an organization. And I, I do this at weddings. I kind of explain this concept. And I'm really blessed because every once in a while, someone will come up to me from a feminist background, and they'll say, you know what? I heard this stuff on the media, and I didn't like it, but the way you explained it, you did a pretty good job. And for me to hear that, I'm thinking, wow, I don't know what I said, but she liked it. <laughs> so we have to understand this. And i got to tell you, my wife, too, she's said to me uh, personally, Joe, I've dated people before you, and if I got the sense that I, would, I was able to dominate or control the man, she goes, I was not interested in him. I want to be protected. I want a man who's going to protect me and cover me and cover my decisions. Uh, and so, you know, she fell in love with me for different reasons, but God bless her. You know. <laughs> Why all this? Verse 5, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. For those of you who are uh, understanding of pretty much the Bible, uh, King David, when he sinned and he committed adultery and then he had the husband killed, the prophet came to him. And the criticism against David was, because you're a leader, because people are seeing you, you've caused the enemies of God to blaspheme him. You were supposed to be representing God. And this wasn't something that was just done in quiet. This has gone out to foreign lands as well. I'm trying to get you guys to help the other pagans to understand the goodness of God. So you've caused the enemies of God to blaspheme. And as believers, sometimes we can do that as well, depending on how we live our lives. In other words, when the world looks at us, they should be able to see Christ in us. We should exude Christ. You know, when we eat too many spices, sometimes it comes out in our pores. You know, Jesus Christ should be exuded from us. And that's attractive to the world. In other words, God's saying, listen, again, this is my model. This is the ideal situation. I want you guys to do it, do it well, and you will attract the world to me through your obedience to my word. And when we're, again, when we're hypocritical or we uh, live a, a double life, it reflects negatively upon God if we're calling ourselves Christians to others. Verse 6. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. So the younger men, to be disciplined, to be sober-minded, this is important. 
Out of all these four groups, older men, older women, younger men, younger women, this group, and the statistics are all there from age 17 to like 32, young men in our society account for a disproportionate percentage of the following. Addictions, violent crime, incarceration, deadbeat dads, and the list goes on. Say it ain't so among God's people. We as young Christian men, notice I'm putting myself in the younger men category. <laughs> we need to show the world something different than what they're seeing in the statistics. And I want to encourage you young men to rise to that occasion because we have a lot of work to do in a sense. Young Christian men should look different. Do we look different? And for those of us who are older, this is a generation that, uh, again, the statistics are showing they're unchurched, so to speak, and they're not coming to faith, and uh, we need to reach them. We need to not let them slip through the cracks, and that would be our responsibility as older people. So, verse 7, he says, In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. Now, that word pattern in the Greek is tupas, where we get the word type, but it goes even deeper than that. This word tupas was, in Greek Greco-Roman society, was a die or a cast or a stamp. So if you had something that was, uh, like a, it was molded, every time you poured that molten metal in there and you let it uh, cool down, you could turn that die over and open it up and whatever you were formed would look perfect. And you can do that hundreds of thousands of times and that die or that cast would still give you the same object in its perfect form. So what he's saying is, are we a pattern? Are we consistent in our good works? Is it who we are? I mean, do we, we do well when we behave and execute the plan that God has set forth, forth for us and emulate that plan? Right? A man of God should be a good example. And for, you know, you've heard this expression that... Um, for, for people who are predictable, oh, that's so predictable. In this case, predictable is good if we're a pattern of good works. And he says, in doctrine, integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. And what it boils down to is caring about God's truth. Yes, for young men. And young men are involved in a lot of things. They have a lot of interest. But the, the truth of God, good doctrine, should be held in the highest esteem. Because young Christian men will eventually be leaders of the church. Are we, are we grooming them properly? I was really blessed at the men's devotion uh, Saturday morning that someone came up to me and a few of our young men were having discussions and, and they, they just had this Bible knowledge in their head and they were putting forth application. They weren't even thumbing through the scripture to find the right answer. So I was told that, wow, you know, these guys, are, they're part of the discussion. So I'm really blessed by that. Our young people, our men and women, are, um, you know, in the teen ministry and the young adults, they're, they're knowing their scripture. They'll be able to uh, explain things about the scripture and apply it. And, and I was really blessed by that. Verse 8, to have sound speech that can't be condemned, that the opponent may be ashamed. In other words, nothing evil to say about you. And that we see that concept with the young men and also with the young women. Now, is that true about us? You know, not everyone is going to like us as believers, especially if you're vocal about your faith and there's others, they're just not ready. Or they're, they're opposed, they're an opponent because they don't like that. There's a different spirit in them. Do they have anything evil to say about us? Now, they may say, if you're at work, oh, that guy's always smiling. He really gets on my nerves. That's not evil, that's a good thing, you know? 
First Peter tells us that if we're going to be uh, ridiculed or we're going to be persecuted, it shouldn't be because we stole something, because we're a thief or we're a troublemaker. It should be that we are a, a follower of Christ and we emulate that. And you've seen it, guys at work. You know, if you say, oh, no, I'm, guys talk about their wives in a derogatory fashion. And you say, you know what, I love my wife. She's, you know, I've been married to her for so many years. Ah, that guy's always talking about his wife. I can't stand my marriage. I mean, if they say that about you, that's a good thing. You see? There's nothing evil that can stick to you. So that, that's what we want to look at as well. Verse 9. Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Now, my son and I, this weekend, have been studying Roman history. He's learning about Roman history in school. It's really neat. There's a whole section on Jesus and Christianity in the public school. I think it's fantastic. And I'm, you know, I'm, I had a quiz on a big test that he's having, and there's a lot of information in there, and I'm looking at him like, wow. Everything that the Bible says is in concert with good Roman history. You know, the... Um, Tacitus and Josephus, and these guys were very de- diligent and detailed in what they wrote about Jesus and his miracles and, and such. So we're learning a lot. But one thing, one scourge of the Roman Empire was they took slaves. And at some point, there was about 50% of the Roman Empire was slaves. So when a slave ran away or did something, they were brutal. They crucified them, they beat them. Um, the Romans were brutal. I mean, even the Jews in the beginning, when Judea was taken over, they didn't like it. And the Romans were brutal to the Jews. So anyone who opposed Rome, you know, they put them under their thumb. So Paul's not saying that slavery is good. What he was saying was, and I, I brought this up before in First Timothy, was that um, slaves were getting slaughtered left and right. And that's not the legacy he wanted to leave for Christianity. He actually wanted them to win their masters to Christ. Uh, and many did. And there was a relationship afterwards. So it's amazing what the Lord can do. So, and, and again, people uh, who are opponents will read the Bible and say, ha, see, Christianity uh, uh, agrees with slavery. Of course, that's ridiculous. And in, in American history, as a matter of fact, uh, many of the people were on the side of the slaves. You know, there was the Underground Railroads, there was the North. So it was a whole different dynamic. There was a, a fervor to help to free the slaves and give them that freedom. And that's a good thing. Well, let's look at this in any position. If you're an employee... Uh, or any earthly subordinate position. Now, if you've ever served in the law enforcement or the military, you understand uh, the truths about this. This makes sense. So number one is obedience. They may be inferior to you, but it shows a lot when you submit. Right? Um, you can be at a job where your supervisor knows less than you. You know, you're, you're more qualified, but because of, of nepotism, someone else got the promotion. You could be miserable for the rest of your career, or you can just do what's proper to do within the confines of those department guidelines. Right? Two, to be pleasing and not answering back, not to smart mouth. Now, this could apply to a commanding officer. It can apply to a boss. It can apply to a lot of, a lot of things. Now, we have the teens sitting in today. I'll say this as well. Uh, if you call yourself a Christian, you shouldn't be smart mouthing your parents. And even if you're an adult and you're still living with your parents, you shouldn't be smart-mouthing them. I mean, this is a, you're in a position of, and, and my dad said this to me, we didn't get along. I wasn't saved, and neither was he. So we were always arguing. He said, if you don't like it, leave. <laughs> and I left. <laughs> so, and our relationship got better because I realized how difficult it was. Dad, let me back in. Um, 
Yeah. So you can apply this to a lot. I got to tell you, a friend of mine lives not far from me. We've been friends for years. And he is senior to me, and he got promoted to be a sergeant. And I got to tell you, even when we're off duty, sometimes I call him Sarge as a term of respect. So even though he's my friend and he's come to me for advice and things, I still show him that respect that he deserves because of the position. Not always an easy thing to do, but, you know, we're called to be obedient. Okay, three, not pilfering or stealing. That's an easy one. Uh, Showing honesty or fidelity. And five, that we may be adorned with the doctrine of God in all things. Now, let me break that down. That word adorn in the Greek is cosmeo. What word do you think we get in the English? Cosmetics. Now, I'm not here to talk about Revlon, okay? But I will say it's what you put on and what you show to the world. Uh, it's kind of mean, and I've seen this in like the news and stuff, but they have this segment of stars without makeup. And I'm talking about the women and the men, right? Do they, yeah, you've seen that, huh? <laughs> oh, I wonder what this person looks like. Click, click, click. But... Are they putting on a different face to their public than they normally would look, this cosmeo? Now, in our application, we have a higher calling. Are we putting on the doctrines of God? Are we really the same person on the outside as we are on the inside? And if we're not, that's called hypocrisy. I'm going to uh, give you a little example here, and it's only because... uh, I didn't know it, but it was in the paper, and a lot of people have been coming to me, so I will bring it up, otherwise I wouldn't. But I'm going to make, a, make an analogy with this. Okay. A few weeks ago, you know, we had our police department awards dinner, and I got a, one of the highest awards called the Medal of Valor. And I was really humbled. I was more nervous going to get the award than what I did, because it's just who I am, you see. There was a call, and uh, it was a hit and run, and the guy was high on drugs. So he hits a car, he takes off. It's all in the paper. He, he ran down, uh, he's flying down Route 130 south, but the only problem is he's in the northbound lanes. <laughs> and it's getting dark, so, and there's some hills, and uh, the concern was, of course, a head-on collision. We've had some fatals. We have a few fatals every year in our town, fatal motor vehicle crashes. So I, you know, I'm talking to dispatch. I get the, the bead on him. I see his taillights, and I'm like, sure enough, he is in the wrong lanes. So... I punch it. Sound effects are important. (laughs) Bury the speedometer, and uh, I see him. And I'm starting to overtake him. Now, in February, the road was completely dry. However, there was still like, you know, remember those snowstorms? There's like a foot of snow, foot and a half on the median. I had a decision to make because there's no cutouts. So I made a decision. I I passed him up, and then I I barreled into the, the median, and snow went everywhere. My police car went up in the air and down, and they pay me for this. Boy, this is, this is fun. So, you know, I get to the other side, spin around. It was very dramatic. It was all on video, and, and I stopped the guy and arrested him for driving while he's high. Anyway, nobody had to tell me and beg me. Nobody had to say, you need to go do that. As soon as I heard the call, I was already going before they called me on the radio. Nobody has to tell me when somebody's not breathing to, to consider uh, CPR or to see you do, 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 do uh, rescue breathing. No one has to tell me that. It's been ingrained in me for the last 20 years. Now, let me make the crossover. As believers, do we have to be told all the time? Or does it come from the inside? Now, there's reflect. I've hear, you know, I'm, I'm big into words. 
we can reflect the light of Christ. I like the word radiate because, you know, in a radiator, it's something that comes from the inside and it goes out to the outside and it warms the house. If you have those nice warm radiators in your home, who are we? What are we putting on? What are we showing to the world? Is it just in church or do we do this seven days a week? Right, 365 a year, as Pastor Vinny would say. Is it part? Listen, that doesn't mean we don't mess up. We do. I mess up. I'm not a perfect husband. Ask my wife. You know, she'll she'll tell you. But we do the best to put on the doctrines of God. We do the best to put. And I have to tell you this: without employing, without the Holy Spirit, it's almost it's an impossible feat. Because with the Holy Spirit, God allows us to do things that are really supernatural that we couldn't do on our own. So it's something to consider. And when he says in all things, I would say that it's a lifestyle. I want to say one more thing, and I feel led to say this, and it wasn't in my notes. When I grew up, my parents were divorced. It was a broken home, dysfunctional. Nobody was saved. And my childhood was miserable. I was a messed up kid with no direction, uh, not a whole lot of mentors. And God, when, when I got saved, boy, God just changed my life. And here I am today. Now, I'm not a millionaire, but I believe that I'm successful, but I'm God-successful. So I just want to encourage you, for those of you kids especially, you think, you know, the hormones are coming, you're a teenager, you're confused, you want your independence, but you still want your parents to pay for everything, you know. I want to say to you that if you really trust God and you really lean on him, he can do amazing things with you. If I died today, I lived a full life. I've got no regrets. There's nothing else I need to do or see. The Lord could come back. I'm ready to go. Now, I love my life. I don't have a death wish. I'd like to, it to continue to some. But the truth is that there's nothing else I need to do. I'm fulfilled. Can we say that? Can you say that? Do you have a sense of purpose? Right? If you don't know the Lord, trust in him as your Lord and Savior. And if you do know the Lord and you're still struggling, lean on him all the more. Really trust him. Pray, talk to him, read his word. You'd be surprised what he can do with your life. So I just want to encourage you with that. If you knew me 20, 30 years ago, I'm not the same person. I was a mess. And God reached in from the sludge of the earth and pulled me out, cleaned me up, did some really neat things with me, and I just give him all the glory. Amen? Amen. That was pretty good. You're all awake this morning. That's great. (laughs) Verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age now, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, same person, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So the bottom line is God gave salvation through his son. And instead of scratching and clawing for the things of this world, we're now part of his kingdom. We have much better blessings than just material things. And we now also have responsibilities as his children, one of which is to bring and draw the lost to him through our example of Christ. And oftentimes through, again, obedience and our lifestyle, that radiation that we spoke about. And verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That is the gospel message. Let me, I got to tell you, if you're not a believer, um, we're all sinners. 
And God is perfect, and God is so awesome that there's no way we could live with him for eternity in our present state. So he's brought the grace of God in the, in the form of his son to earth so that we can believe on him. He took our sins on that cross. We're clean, we're cleansed, so that we can have eternal life. Verse 12 and 13. So what is the advent of Christ in our life supposed to teach? Now, normally, there's a Greek word for teach, but he uses a different word here for teach, and you don't see it in the English. But this word has a connotation of education and uh, disciplining a child. What are we supposed to be taught no matter what age we are? Forget about older men, older women, younger men, younger women. We're to be educated and disciplined as a child. Now, I don't take offense to that because I'm a child of God, no matter how old I get. And there's something I can always learn from God. And I could always be disciplined from God when I'm disobedient. So one, to deny ungodliness and worldly, worldly lust. We now serve the true God instead of ourselves. And this is my big problem with the prosperity gospel. What they're saying is, so you're saved, so you have the Holy Spirit, so you have spiritual gifts. Now, ask God for all the money in the world. Get all the money, get all the stuff you can get, money, 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 and, and, and hoard it. That's absurd. Our blessings are bigger than material things, and some of us will be blessed materially. But our blessings, we should be laying hold of the crowns of righteousness, you know, the, the life-saving crown, the crowns of, um, the crown of life, all these different crowns. And these things are not material, but they last for eternity, like Jesus says. Stuff gets destroyed here. People steal it, but not eternal uh, treasures. Two, to live soberly, righteously, and godly now. And three, to look for that blessed hope and glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is a picture of the rapture, or what we know in the Greek as the harpazo, where the Lord comes and he violently snatches us away. He appears in the heavens and he just takes us home with him. And there's a whole eschatological component of that, end times um, you know, um, events that happen. And when we celebrate communion, we look back to his uh, sufferings and his um, sacrifice that he made for us, but we also look forward to his coming again and establishing his kingdom, coming in glory. Verse 14, Christ gave himself so that he might. What does that mean? He may, he may not, he's kind of fickle about it. No, he might save us. He might do these things based on our acceptance. Okay? God offers that free gift, but we also have to receive it. We have to accept it. And then the transaction is complete, so to speak. To number one, redeem us from every lawless deed that condemned us. Now, this is good news for us as individuals. What have you done in your life that's so terrible that you don't think you can be forgiven for? Don't call it out. You know? Nothing. There is no unpardonable sin except for the continually resisting of his mode of salvation. Other than that, you can be forgiven for anything that you've committed. So individually, we see an application. And number two, to purify him for himself his own special people. That's now not individually, that's corporately or collectively. It applies to all of us in this church as a body. To be zealous for good works. We were designed to do good works. I was speaking to um, um, a young teenage girl about when we had the harvest party last year and she was working with a lot of the kids and she said, wow, I really enjoy doing this. Um, I'm considering signing up for the children's ministry and she did. Several months later, I'm like, how's it going? She goes, I, I could do this every Sunday. This is awesome. I love working with these kids. 
You know, as a believer, when we do good things, when we, and again, good works don't save us, but understand that faith without works is dead. So uh, doing good works is an evidence that our faith is alive and vibrant in us. And when you start to really, when we start, let me say we as well, when I start to look outside of myself and not say it's all about me, and I start to do for others, it makes me more complete and it gives me more of a purpose, and it's God's purpose. And he says a special people. Now that word is interesting because it can mean beyond the usual or peculiar. Now how many today are feeling particularly special this morning? Super special? Oh good, You've, that's good. Excellent. How many of you feel a little peculiar <laughs> or beyond the usual? Pastor Vinny in the back? <laughs> he raised his hand. You're in the right place, because starting from me, there's a few of us who are a little peculiar and, and special. So, What makes us special or beyond the pale is our relationship to Christ and not our feelings. That's important. How do you feel this morning? Well, I had a rough morning, and uh, you know, I'm, really, I'm kind of tired. Or, Oh, I feel great this morning. You know, I had plenty of sleep. Why do those two people feel differently about where their standing is and their position is with the Lord? That's why it's not based on feeling. You see, we are special. We are behind the usual. And anybody can be a part of that group just by trusting in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I'll tell you this, before I was saved, I was just existing. I remember just existing through life. Uh, I would achieve things. I would buy things. I bought my first house, fixed it up, sold it, bought another house with the money that I made from it. But it just wasn't fulfilling. I was just existing. I was just meandering through life. But the truth is, once God fills us with his Holy Spirit, once we say, yes, I do believe what Jesus did, yes, I trust in that, yes, I do want you to be my Lord and Savior, we now have a sense of purpose, and it just gets better and better and better from there. So it's not about feelings. Very important to understand. And verse 15, he says, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. Say it loud and say it proud. This is a mode of life to, to speak them, to have conversation about it, to exhort, to excite others, to, to you know, hey, this is great. You, you consider serving the Lord, consider helping us with this thing, or there's an outreach and you know, we're going to bless people out there. Exhortation. And rebuke. And sometimes we need to be rebuked. Sometimes we're doing the wrong things. And someone who loves us will love us enough to tell us face to face, this is what the word says and you're really, it's, that's not a good thing. It's not a good example. With all authority. Isn't that amazing? We all have that authority if we're believers. There isn't in the body of Christ somebody is more important than the other. I'm not more important than anybody else here. This is just the role that God has me in right now. We all have an authority. We all have an importance. We all have a, a special nature to us as a group and as individuals. And let no one despise you. There's a really good one. You know, I, I deal with, you know, and it happens at times. In counseling, a person, God's forgiven them, and they're still not forgiving themselves. God's not holding it against you. The person maybe you did it to is not even holding it against you. You're holding it against yourself. But even if others are holding it against you, it says let no one despise you. Because somebody calls you a loser or somebody tells you you're no good, you don't have to live in that. You don't have to live in that. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't want to be a young person all over again because sometimes these peer groups are pretty tough. You don't have to live a life based on where they put you in that pecking order. 
If they put you as the little duck all the way on the bottom, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to believe that about yourself. You're a child of God. Let no one despise you. So a few things we can look at as we close. Number one, to put the past behind us. When in Christ, he has forgiven all, and we put all in the past. Bury it, kill it. What are you holding on to about yourself? Let it die. Cover it with concrete. Put, you know, be done with it. Two, we don't have to live self-destructive or dysfunctional lives anymore. God made us a new creature in Christ. And that's another thing I find myself saying. Why do you do this to yourself? Why do you treat yourself so badly? You're a new creature in Christ. God loves you. He wants more for you. Three, he wants our obedience and to, to live and be fulfilled in these right roles so that we can radiate Christ and attract others to him. This is a messed up world. We all know somebody who's struggling right now. We all know somebody who, who could use, the, I mean, we can all use the Lord, but they could use a helping hand and they just refuse. Keep praying for that person. Somebody said in the, uh, um, in the men's group uh, Saturday morning, delay is not denial. I love that. That's beautiful. Delay, God's delaying and answering prayers is not denial. Continue. Continue in it. And four, God loves us so much. Not only does he want to save us from judgment, not only does he want us to be his children, as John tells us that we're going to get into, but he wants us to work with him in his fields. Doesn't that blow your doors off? I mean, you could work for the CEO. You know, I don't know what your profession is, and the top, top person could come down and say, knock on your little cubicle and say, I want you to work with me. You'd be like, wow, what an honor. This is the creator of everything. Wants you to work with him. Wants you to be a part of saving souls. Wants you to be a part of delivering people from drugs and alcohol, repairing marriages. He wants that for each and every one of us. That's available to you today. The only question now is, will you take him up on that offer? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. You are awesome. We thank you that you do want us to be a part of your life.